Welcome to Ron's Adventures, the podcast that highlights the adventures Ron Pierce has experienced over the course of 30 years following God around the world. With me in the studio is Ron and Karis Pierce. So welcome, guys. I can't wait to hear the adventures, the fun stories that you've experienced. What do you have for us today? I think we'll start off on this first one that we're going to be talking about in a trip that I had many, many years ago. I think it was around 1992, wasn't it, Karis? Yeah, it would have been back then. Yeah, and it was to a place called Abacon, Siberia. And we were going in there to meet the National Church, and uh, I think there were some Bibles that were going in and various other things. But it was the trip as a whole that was the most exciting part. It was the airplane ride. And so I thought we'd talk about that today, Joy, as the first one. What happened was that we went to the airport, and I still remember walking up, and I was somewhat of a rookie at this time as to what was going on in Russia. This was right after the fall um, as far as the Soviet Union and uh, uh, Russia was still there, but it was pretty broken. And uh, so we were uh, getting on Aeroflop, as, uh, I'm sorry, Aeroflot <laughs> Airlines, and uh, we were getting on to go across from Moscow over to Siberia. So I can remember that we walked up into the terminal there, and if you had luggage, you threw it down this hole uh, almost. You put your name on it and where you were going, etc. And it, it was like this cavern that you threw it into and hoping that somebody was at the other end to pick it up and put it on the plane. Well, we didn't do that. What we did, we took our luggage with us on the plane, carried it on. So this was the biggest carry-on luggage uh, adventure I'd ever had. And so we we go out and we're waiting in the terminal and had our boarding pass, et cetera. And they said, okay, go walk across that runway to where all those planes are parked on the far side. So I still remember with these hockey bags and everything like that, uh, there were a group of us. I think there were about six of us uh, at, at that time. And we picked up these bags and we walked to the edge of an active runway. And this is where planes were taking <laughs> off right in front of us. And I mean, um, you, you had to put your hands over your ears. They were that close from where we were standing. And then there was a break. And it was almost like a ground crew guy says, okay, now run. And so we <laughs> ran with our bags across the runway between jets taking off to where all these planes were all lined up. and must have been eight or ten planes. And we walked down the row and we kept asking, is this plane going to Abacon, Siberia? And the answer was no, no, no. Went to this one flight attendant and I said, are, are we going to Abacon? She says, I don't know, I'll check. She goes up the stairs, talks to the pilot or somebody that's in the plane, comes back out and says, yeah, we're going to go to Abacon. Oh, good. So <laughs> here we are pulling all of our luggage up these steps, and we're on board. And there are a lot of people already sitting there. And I still remember the animals. Like there's a guy with a chicken in a in a cage sitting in the floor. And there were dogs at the back. And here we, I turned left. We went up a little bit further to the front. And um, we put luggage everywhere. The seats pulled up and you put luggage there. You put luggage in overhead. You put luggage at your feet. And any excess luggage, what they did, they threw it up at the front of the plane um, basically uh, over top of the doors to get into the cockpit. And uh, so I'm sitting there looking at this like I I've never seen any a plane like this before in my life. And so we're sitting there. All of a sudden, the pilot and the co-pilot, they got on board and they were walking from the door up into the cockpit area. And everybody along their route was patting them on the back 
and clapping. <laughs> and uh, I asked what uh, to our translator, I said, so what did they sing to the pilot? And they said, good luck, you can do it. Oh, good no. luck, you can do it. <laughs> and it was, it was very exciting at that moment. My heart was, you know, you know. Really pounding. And then after the pilot and the co-pilot got in there, they took these remaining suitcases and just threw them up to make a small mound. You couldn't see the door. It was all luggage at the front. So we get down to the end of the runway, and uh, these are powerful planes um, that they had at that time. And, you know, we, we were sitting at the end of the runway. He puts the gas on, the power on. I, I would suspect half the seats in there were broken. And all of a sudden, I was laying backwards. The seat just, <laughs> just fell back. And I'm sitting there looking up at a lady. Uh, I was laying in her lap, basically, <laughs> and looking straight up at this lady, looking down at me. And I apologized and pulled my seat back up, etc. And everybody was, you know, in the same sort of position. So we get up to altitude and um, um, all of a sudden, the um, flight attendants were coming by. And they were handing out these large four-inch cookies. They looked like hockey pucks. And they were thin. It was like hardtack. And they were throwing them like little Frisbees around <laughs> the plane. And this was our lunch. And they were throwing these cracker Frisbees at us. And then they would come by with water in these jugs. And they had glasses that were all different colors and shapes and sizes. Everybody got a glass. And they would pour water in it for you. Well, I looked at my glass and there was a fly in there. And I, I said to the flight attendant when she came by, she, I said, there's a fly in my cup. And she looked at me like I was crazy. She took my cup, took her blouse, the end of her blouse, wiped it out, handed it back to me, <laughs> filled it with water and handed it back to me. I thought, thank you so much. And um, But did you drink it? Not a bit. <laughs> no. not, not, nothing. Nothing. So we were sitting there and then people were sharing food with one another. There was some cheese that was going around. Oh, there was, it was a free-for-all. And um, this went on for three, four, five hours. I forget how long the flight was. And then we were coming down in Abacon, Siberia, and I still remember landing. And we were landing in a storm. And uh, we found out when we landed that the terminal, everybody had gone home from the terminal. They left the landing lights on, on the runway, but there's nobody in the terminal. So when we were approaching, it was like with no, <laughs> nobody in the tower. And so um, we, we were landing this way. We were up probably about 4,000, 5,000 feet. The plane was getting buffeted around. And then all of a sudden, one of the panels over the boat, the front three or four rows, uh, the ceiling uh, tiles, it fell down on the passengers in the front two or three rows. And it just plumped right on their heads. And, and all the other passengers got up and lifted the panel, and they were trying to fit it back into place. Well, you could see a bunch of cables up there and wires and everything like that. So here is this guy, and he's holding it there while we landed. So he's not in his seat, but he's standing there holding the panel up while we were landing in this pretty severe storm. And so we land, get to the end of the runway. They open the door. Um, somebody must have been there because there was a somebody that pushed over the steps so we could go down. And uh, we went down, but there was nobody there. We all stood under the wing, those of us that got off there. And this it was like a milk run. And those of us that got off there, we stood under the wing of the plane because it was just pouring cats and dogs rain. And we stood underneath there, and they threw our luggage down to us, the ones we had marked, and threw our luggage down. We're standing there. And then they pointed to a hole in this fence, this uh, um, chain link fence. There was a hole. 
and we had to go over to the hole and pull our luggage through, and there were cars on the other side on a road waiting for us. And our driver, Igor, uh, was there waiting for us. But that's not his real us. name. That, that was his okay, real name, yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I think half of Russia has that name, by the way. But uh, So Igor is over there, and we pulled our luggage through. We were drenched, go and sit in the car. And I remember sitting in the front seat, and I had my camera bag on, in front of me, and I had all my luggage sort of at my feet, and I'm just crying right there. And then we started off on this road in the pouring rain to our hotel. So we're going down the road. Well, in those days in Russia, they didn't use their headlights all the time, and they didn't use their windshield wipers. In fact, people would steal their windshield wipers off the cars because things were so poor and everything like that. So you always took your windshield wipers off and stored them in your glove compartment when you left your car. Well, he put them on, the windshield wipers on, but he didn't want to wear out the headlights. So he drove without headlights no. until, yeah, serious, <laughs> until we approached an oncoming car that they thought was an oncoming car. Then he would turn them on at that moment while we passed, then turn them off again. It is the scariest thing, Joy, to be driving <laughs> in a pouring rainstorm on dark roads without the lights on. And then all of a sudden, when you when he turns them on and the car is right in front of you, <laughs> and, and then he turns them off again. And we went that way for probably half, three quarters of an hour till we got to the hotel, Got off in the hotel, uh, went to our rooms, et cetera, et cetera, and spent that night um, recovering. And uh, then in the morning, we went um, to a market. We were going to the church afterwards to meet pastors and everything. But they wanted to take us to the market. And the market in Abacon, Siberia at that time was this huge outdoor flea market sort of thing. And people would pull up with their cars and their caravans and wagons, etc. And you would walk around and you would be buying and bartering various things. And I still remember guys walking around with swords with chunks of raw meat on it. And you would buy your meat and they would have this little bit of wax paper and you would, you would grab your meat off the end of the sword and put it in your bag. And they were selling shoes on the top of a car. Um, um, they wouldn't be totally pairs of shoes and the sizes were all off. But you would find two shoes that you want, a red one and a blue one, that if they fit you and you would buy those. I still remember them selling dogs in, in these little, little, I don't know, little areas on the ground where they made a fence around it and they would have various dogs that were being sold there. As and, pets? I'm not going to answer that. I don't know. Um, I know in Asia it wouldn't be for pets. Uh, it would be probably for supper. But um, who knows there. Anyway, all these sort of little stations were on. And then all of a sudden I heard singing. And I recognized the melody. And these were Christian songs. And it was from the church in Abacon that we were going to. The young people had taken um, – it was an old um, – truck. It sort of, uh, it, it, was, it was a truck, but it sure didn't look like it anymore. And they had made it so that they could cut down the side, lay the side of the, the box of the truck down and prop it up and make it a stage. And they took it around to various locales and they would, they would do singing and evangelism and all sorts of outreach and drama and everything of that nature. So the young people are up there singing and there were dancers out in the front. And, uh, it was, it was quite something to see. Um, and so I stood it over at the distance, and I had my translator from the church that was there, spoke English rather well. And I still remember him, um, him there with me, and I would be asking all sorts of questions like this and that, and why are they doing this? And he would answer. And I asked this one question. 
all the girls, um, very nice young ladies, and they were dancing. And, but you could see that they were extremely thin. And I mean, like their arms were just like toothpicks and their legs and were very, 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 very slender and tiny. They were undernourished, really undernourished. And they were dancing away at the front. And um, I said to the young pastor, my translator, I said, boy, those girls are thin. And he looked at me and he says, nobody's told you? Nobody's filled you in? And I said, no. And he says, you don't know what these young girls do? And I said, no. He says, the young people of the church get a bowl of food every day. That's their rations, you might say. They take every other day's allotment of food and give it to the poorest of the poor, the people that they're ministering to, telling about Jesus, and they will share their food. So they're only living on 50% of their rations. And he says, these girls will take their food and give it away to others. That's why they're so thin. And I looked at him, and I had never heard anything like this before in my life. And I looked at him, and I said, they give away half of their food? And he looks at me, and I still remember, and he says, in Abacon, Siberia, that's how you witness. Mm. And I, I went behind that truck, and literally I cried because I had never, I had never experienced anything quite like that before. I had seen all sorts of things, but not that much dedication of the young people, that much concern over lost souls, that sort of sacrifice that was being lived out in order to tell people about Jesus. We went to the church the next day and uh, <laughs> walked into the church, and it was probably about 2,500 people, and there are 2,000 people in their huge stage. And uh, this was a church like they were it was raucous. It was it was exciting. the The singing was uh, was was loud, but not only that, but everybody participated and they were dancing. the 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 pews were made of tree trunks and trees that had been laid sideways, and they cut them in half lengthwise and put little sort of feet underneath them, etc. So you were you were sitting on the flat part of half a tree. And so those were all over the place. And I was sitting up near to the front as a guest, and uh, they were having the service, and, oh, they had everything at the service, including a wedding. And they had a wedding, and a young couple were getting married right in the middle of the church service. And so I still remember sitting there looking at this wedding, and all of a sudden, uh, it came time for the rings. And uh, uh, he didn't have a ring for her. And he's looking around, and he's supposed to have the ring, and he, he didn't. I, he sort of said, I don't have a ring. Well, everybody's quiet. And all of a sudden, the Lord said, go give me a ring. So I took off my wedding ring. No, no, I took off my ring from my um, that I had been, I won in a contest from my previous um, employer, you might say. And I took <laughs> off the ring, and I took it up on stage, and I handed it to him. Well, there was just nobody in the 2,000 people were just in awe. All of a sudden, um, he takes the ring, gives me the biggest hug. She gives me a hug. The congregation explodes sort of like, this is incredible. And we went on with the worship service. 
and uh, somewhere in, in Siberia right now is my ring. <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, sure. <laughs> I have no doubts about that. But um, the, the one part I want to get to and before this end, the story ends, is that somewhere during the service, I found my way out to this building, which was the Sunday school room. And it was it was where all the kids would go out to, and they all the kids were probably about um, six to eight years old, somewhere in that sort of range, maybe maybe four to six years old. And so I go out to this 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 house, and I walk into it, and it it was nothing like I'd ever seen before. You see, they didn't have enough room for all the kids on one level. So what they did in this house, they built shelves like bookshelves all the way up from the floor to the ceiling. And they would put kids up on the shelves so that they were all around the walls from floor to ceiling, probably about um, four or five kids high all throughout this. And I walked into this room and literally I was looking around and there were kids absolutely everywhere. And I listened and they were, they were, they were doing their Bible verses. They were singing. They were so excited about coming to church and being part of Sunday school and learning about Jesus. And the teachers were the best in the world. Maybe they weren't as mature in the Lord as a lot of us over here in the West are concerned. They loved these kids. They knew God and they were going to talk to them about Jesus. And they would just sit there and they would read them Bible stories and the kids were glued to them. Not a movement. Like, I've, I know my grandchildren. They would be moving all over the place. <laughs> not, not these kids. These kids just sat and they listened so quietly and attentively for a long period of time. That was, those are my recollections of that trip to Abacon, Siberia. Okay, so really quickly, because my brain is having trouble envisioning the children on the walls. Were they <laughs> in little cubby holes? Were they hung no, no, on hooks? Know, <laughs> it, it, these, were, these, were, these were like bookshelves. But only the seat was probably about um, 10 inches to 12 inches deep. And therefore, they were just put up there like books on bookshelves. But they were bigger ones. And they were just all up the walls. Um, It's quite a picture. Nowhere have I seen that in the world since. No, I can't imagine. And, uh, yeah, uh, I don't think they met safety code (laughs) um, with that. But um, (laughs) at the same time, nobody seemed to care about anything. Uh, this was an exciting church. This was a church that really was was strong both in evangelism and worship and uh, probably a lot of things I didn't see. But the one thing that I did see was the fact that they were poor. They were really, really poor. But poor does not stop you from getting to know God. Wasn't this the church also that during the offering they would put the offering bowls at the front, and it was a joyful time to oh. go and give oh. what they didn't have. I forgot all about that. They they thought that the highlight of the entire worship service wasn't the wedding. It wasn't the singing. It wasn't anything else. It was the offering time. And they took whatever little bit they had, and they would take it up to the front of everything that they had saved, everything that they had found, everything that they had sold to find money to be able to give it on Sunday. And it was all for evangelism. It was all for feeding the poor. It was all for taking care of the downtrodden. And and I'm thinking the poor are taking care of the poor better than anybody else is. And it, it was the most exciting time. Oh, I st- oh, oh, this just came back to me. I remember in the offering that there was this little old lady 
and she must have taken 10 minutes to go from her seat up to the front. She was on crutches. She was just, it was like two, two inches every minute sort of situation. They did the offering, but then she kept on going up. When she finally got to the front to put in her little pennies or mites or rubles or whatever it was that she was going to put in, the service stopped. The service stopped cold, and everybody knew she got to the front. She put in her offering in absolute silence. When she did it, everybody erupted in applause, and the worship started up again, and she went back to her seat. <laughs> it was sort of like we're waiting for Grandma to get up oh, to wow. the front. And um, that's, that's church. If you want to call it, why do people go to church? I'll tell you, that's why I would go to church, is to be with a group of people with those sort of priorities. Well, thank you, Ron. It was incredibly thrilling to hear about your adventures. Ron's Adventures, the podcast that reminds us that following God does not have to be boring. Uh, oh, and also that a fly in a dirty cup is really the least of your concerns. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs>